Hey guys, before we get started, I just want to give a quick shout out to Vivian Wang. She was very gracious in allowing me to use her photo of Todd Gummerman for the cover photo of this episode. You can find her on Instagram at lithophyte. That's L-I-T-H-O-P-H-Y-T-E. Also, Instagram.com slash lithophyte. The link will be in the show notes. Thank you. You're listening to Every Last Drop Podcast. Join me, Danny, Nick, and sometimes Luke as we explore the relationship between philosophy and art. If you enjoy today's show and want to contribute to what we're doing, visit everylastdroppodcast.com slash contribute. We greatly appreciate your support. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another edition of Every Last Drop Podcast. Podcast. That's right. We are in your pocket everywhere you go. That's right. Everywhere you go. Yep. And if you keep your phone in your back pocket, we're in your butt. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe on it. Don't put your phone in your back pocket, please, for our sake. Yeah. <laughs> and all your friends' sake when you accidentally butt dial them. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We got a very special guest uh, today. Yeah? Who's that? Todd Gummerment. Yeah. All right. So if you're a Mute Math fan and you stumbled across this, welcome to the show. This is for you. This is for you. Uh, that includes, and <laughs> that includes, includes me. me. <laughs> <laughs> and a shout out to uh, Winnebago Man. <laughs> yeah. Jack Redney. Uh that was perfect. Um, yeah, that no, really though, that does include me because I am a huge mute math fan. Dude, you you've loved mute math for about ten years. Yeah. Uh, so this is a really special interview. I I think I did pretty good, like kind of just keeping my cool Hold yourself and, together. Yeah, because yeah. a few years ago I would have been probably way starstruck by this, but now for I sure. now I I'm a little bit I'm mature enough to kind of handle it mm-hmm. and see the humanness and just the relatability and how we're kind of talking on a friend to friend basis. So yeah. that's how I see it nowadays. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So Todd is uh, a member of mute math. If you don't know who this is mute math, if you don't know who they are, check uh, them out. Yeah. Go look pause it up. this, pause this podcast. Yeah. Check them out. Give you permission to pause this and just go listen to all the mute math you can possibly consume, which back. is four albums and one EP. That is all you can consume because that's all there is. <laughs> uh, and they're all very different from each other. They're a very eclectic band, diverse styles of music, uh, diverse instrumentation, uh, a killer out-of-this-world drummer who just blows my mind every yeah. time I hear him. I've seen him live three times. It's It, it just it gets better every time. Uh, Todd's not a founding member of mute math, uh, he wasn't there when the band started. Uh, the original guitar player quit around uh, right before the making of their third album when they were going to record it. He quit. Uh, th- the three members made it by themselves, which you'll hear all about that in detail in the interview. We go p- pretty in-depth with that. Um, so Todd joined kind of shortly after that time. Uh, he was a part of the fourth album. He is... 
multi-instrumentalist in the band. He plays guitars, he plays keyboards and synths and synth bass and whatever they need him to. So uh, it's, honestly, it's an honor. It's an honor to have a guy like this on my, on our show. It sure is. Um, for him to, to, to grace this show with, yeah. with his uh, time and his contributions. So, yeah, I, the interview speaks for itself, right? Yes, it yeah. does. So, guys, without further ado, we're just gonna we're gonna jump right into this guy and uh, let you hear it in all of its glory. Enjoy. Enjoy. I know I did. Me too. Do you want to keep up with all of the cool stuff that's happening on Every Last Drop? Head on over to everylastdroppodcast.com to find out about everything we do, from a feed of our most current episodes, blog posts, ways you can get in touch with us, and an opportunity to join our email list so you can get up-to-date information about our latest releases. Haven't signed up yet? What are you waiting for? Go! Hello. All right. Hello. Can you see us, Todd? Yeah, what's up, man? Can you hear us? I can hear you. Sweet. Oh, awesome. Right on. Thanks, man. What's going on? How are you doing today? I'm great. I guess I have a halo of lights. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect, yeah. Like I planned it. You've uh, reached your ultimate form. Yeah. I'm doing great, man. I'm just chilling in my studio. It's a decent day. It's a little drizzly, but it's been yeah. beautiful here in Nashville. Nashville. Now you're you're not in what's the term Nash Nashvillean is that what you call a person from Nashville? I don't think I technically am. I don't know. I've lived here years, so maybe I need to start adopting that. <laughs> but you're 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 not a Nashville native, though. No, I grew up in Bloomington, Illinois. I'm, oh, really, I'm an Illinois? Illinois boy. Yeah. Right on. Cool. Nice. I was I was born in Chicago, but I didn't grow up in Illinois, so. Yeah, I thought I remembered that. I, I used to go up there and play soccer a bunch. Yeah. And go to Cubs games, and of course, as one does when you're close to Chicago. Absolutely. Right on. Are you still a Cubs fan to this day? I don't really follow baseball. Not I mean, baseball if, if if something's on, if if baseball's on, I'll look for the Cubs, you know, but I, I'm, I'm just, I became obsessed with soccer, so... Hmm. It kind of pushed out all the other sports interests in my life. Right on, right on. Sounds good. But yeah. they're doing well. I hear they're doing well. That's yeah. That's yeah. what I hear too. They're uh, they're in the playoffs and they're good. Which might is, be the year, right? It's kind of weird to think the Cubs are good, but <laughs> but it's Actually, happening. Darren was just explaining to me that Back to the Future Biff was based off of Trump. That's true. And that's true. In that scenario was when the Cubs were going to win. So there's this uh-huh. weird like Back to the Future thing happening again. Yeah, and part two. Oh man, I love Back to the Future. It's one of my, <laughs> my favorites. <laughs> but yeah, part two. You've got Biff Tannen's Pleasure Paradise or whatever. And, yeah. And the Cubs winning the World Series. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. All right. So all we really want to talk about is just uh, you and your artistic ways and uh, kind of what why you do what you do how how it happened kind of so we're, we'll we'll kind of start from the begin from the beginning and Great. then we'll we'll work our way up so Great. I, this is my buddy nick 
How you doing, he's, Todd? He's also my co-host. Hi, nice to meet you, man. I love your music. I, can't, I can see your shoulder, but that's probably good enough. It's not a big deal. I just thought it, you might want to know. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's all good, though. Yeah, Danny's the one that got me into you guys' music, and I greatly enjoy it. So I'm a big fan. Oh, nice. Thank you, man. Absolutely. Yeah, man. we've we've got a pretty good length of, of bandom going yeah. over a decade. Over a decade's pretty solid. It is, especially nowadays to keep a band together that long. So yeah, right. Yeah. So I kind of, like I said, I want to kind of start from the beginning. So I'm just curious. Can can you talk a little bit about how you got started in music? Like how old were you, and like just just kind of what got you going into into music? What attracted yeah. you to it? Like what? How did that start for you? Certainly, man. Um, there, there's definitely big phases uh in the first phase how i got into music was because my parents stuck me on lessons violin lessons when i was two <laughs> wow. so it wasn't really a choice i don't think it was a choice at that point i haven't seen I a two-year-old remember. playing violin before i don't remember if it was a choice they <laughs> at that age from my understanding they don't even start you on a violin i remember having like a little cracker jack box <laughs> that you hold on your shoulder and then you have a stick to kind of get used to the motion. Hmm. I actually, I have a vague recollection of that happening. And then, you know, they have tiny violins. They have like quarter uh-huh. size or, or eighth size violin somehow. And that's where the joke comes from. Like, Oh, I'll play a song on the tiny violin mm-hmm. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I took classical from, I guess two all the way through high school um, and I started piano at three as well. They stuck me on piano at three. Wow. wow. And so it wasn't really a choice. I, my dad sung Barbershoppers since before I was born. He just hit like his 50, 50 year membership in his barbershop chorus. Good wow. Lord. And wow. at, that, at that point, you get to stop paying your dues. They figure if you've been alive and singing that long, they cut you some slack. 50 years. Um, All right. We'll give you a break after 50 years. Yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, classical for a long time. And uh, I really liked that. I got a little burnt out on it by the time I hit teenage years and started hearing, you know, rock and mm-hmm. other pop and stuff like that. Right, right. Um, so it was really just a matter of being exposed to new genres that got my blood going. Um, I played a lot in church. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was sort of I a gateway that. to other styles. And, um, and then once I started hearing like jazz and rock on the radio, I, I honestly just started trying to pick stuff out on the piano mm-hmm. and play along to stuff, pick out melodies. I realized somewhere around like, early high school that I was really focused on bass lines. I don't know if I was trying to, I just started hearing bass lines and music with whether I wanted to or not, like huh. when they're at a restaurant and I'm just following the bass line and like I was your like, mind just latched onto it for whatever. Yeah. Reason. I was like, crap. Like, am, is this going to be forever? <laughs> like, <laughs> am I stuck? Is my brain stuck in base base mode? Um, but I think it was just a curiosity of 
wanting to know how chord structures worked. Like, why does this song work? And obviously, there's so much centered around the bass mm-hmm. and the chord structure. Mm-hmm. Like, it explains so much. Because the melody, everyone picks out the melody. That's right. a no-brainer. Right. Music the has, the, the melody is the most noticeable thing, but music has two other parts. There's rhythm and harmony. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It doesn't work without <clears throat> some kind of root. So I think I was just trying to connect those two. Uh, but it was, it was great. I mean, it was a really healthy thing to get hooked on. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I was a keys guy. And and violin, but I was I, I was more natural, naturally better at keys, um, really my whole life. I, guitar mm-hmm. I didn't get into until I started playing acoustic in like youth group, uh-huh. and electric I didn't get into until really more till like I was eighteen or nineteen, twenty adult years. Yeah, and um, you know dabbled in bass and drums mm-hmm. in the youth group setting as well. But uh, right on. I guess that's the the brief history. So you talked about how you got a little bit bored of the classical and you started hearing some more of like the rock genres and the pop. So who are some of those early inspirations that that really uh, really inspired you early on to get out of classical and like really kind of take ownership of, of playing your own music? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, there were some big ones. Uh, I would say the ones that jump out were, uh, my brother showed me Weezer Blue album when I was maybe 15. Uh Um, and that, to me, that was pretty mind blowing. Just the, the genre. I hadn't really been exposed to that kind of grungy rock ever. Yeah. And how... Like, especially coming from classical, there's like no overlap. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty mind blowing to me, just between the guitar solos and how simple the melody seemed. But then, like once you broke it down, it was pretty brilliant. Like some of that stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, like power chords for the whole song. You know, it's just so simple but so smart um, to be pulling that stuff off. That was huge. I remember it was all just friends handing me the best stuff. Um, Queen, I got a Queen best of mm-hmm. album in, in high school that just could not believe that stuff. Um, Jeff Buckley, uh-huh. the Grace album. Um, you know, of course, friends showing me Radiohead, OK Computer. Um, yeah, you're not you're not the first person that's mentioned that record as as being like this mind blowing trip of yeah all that stuff yeah. man I I just could not believe it and it wasn't it wasn't a total 180 like there were there was some good stuff in Christian music which is what I was mm-hmm. kind of forced to be boxed into until I was old old enough to like mm-hmm. I'm with you on that I. That's old enough to sneak some secular to records, <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, so you know the good, the good DC talk and audio adrenaline, and some more obscure ones like Plank Guy or Bleach, stuff like that. There was some good Christian stuff that was pushing boundaries for sure. But no, then, no doubt about it. Compared to yeah. the secular list that I just mentioned, it was just I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Rage, like. 
my brain couldn't handle Rage Against the Machine. I did like. Yeah, I that's didn't know some what genre bending stuff. It made like it made me so worked up and like angry, and I had nothing to be angry about. I had like <laughs> <easiest> upbringing, <laughs> so I just wanted to be. I wanted that energy to turn to something. I would usually just drive around and just crank it and like feel like I was being the biggest rebel by just screaming the F word. (laughs) (laughs) F you won't do what you tell me like over and over again. Um, So yeah, that's the the short list. Um, But yeah, the energy of some of those groups was insane. So, okay, right on. So some of the things... Uh, what are some of the things that were in common between them that really stuck out to you? Was it the, how they were, did you think of them as all like being really innovative and like they were all like just really pushing the envelope for their time and that's what, what drew you to them the most? Or was it yeah. just the fact that it was new because you were kind of in a bubble for a long time with musically? Yeah, it, it was, it was definitely a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. I mean, but not just new. I mean, you would hear stuff on the radio that I would be pretty dismissive of, um, just the general pop world in, in those days. Right. I mean, not that there aren't some good pop songs from the 90s, but it, it was pretty uh, It was pretty spotty back then, I, I thought. And, I, and yeah, it was, so it was new, and I didn't have any frame of reference to compare it to, you know, Led Zeppelin, I had no like backwards catalog to compare it to. So for me, even if they were referencing old groups that were amazing or ripping them off or like mm-hmm. taking it to the level, I had no way to know that. So to me, it was all just genius moves. Like, how are these guys thinking of this creativity and way to do music? Um, it, so it was just like an education. Um, which reminds me, Lauren Hill, Miseducation. Um, that was one of my favorite records. Still is to this day. That record's ridiculous. I played that so much in high school. Um, and Wallflowers was a big one too. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was just. It seemed like such a like creative, different way to approach music, and of course, like the lyrical content. Um, was totally new to me and mm-hmm. like caught totally you off guard darker like mm-hmm. more darker side of my brain that i hadn't ever really gone to lyrics have always taken a back seat though honestly to mm-hmm. music uh for me um that's not what your ear hears first even no 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 even in yeah. my own bands even in mute math i don't know all the lyrics i know my bgv lyrics Mm-hmm. Uh, my background vocals, but I don't. I don't even know all of our lyrics. I just my brain has always been about chords and melody and mm-hmm. you know counter melodies and that stuff. I think I can relate um, to that. Yeah. So I, I've I've definitely made arguments to friends about you know the lyrics don't even matter half the time. Like in at least in these type of genres, it's mm-hmm. more about the energy. Yeah. Uh, certainly, you got to sell the song, but like. And the hook. I like, I like to joke about like, yeah, exactly. Um, like another one bites the dust. It's all about that groove. I mm-hmm. mean, another one bites the dust is great, but then the verses, like you have no idea what he's saying in the verses. Like, yeah. 
Right. I have no idea what he's saying. Yeah, it's like the melody of what he's singing is what you remember, not necessarily like the words that mm-hmm. he's saying. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I've always been more about yeah, with you on that. the color that they're painting this palette, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm buying into. For sure. Um, not, the, not the lyrics don't matter. It's just always taking a, a second seat, you know, back seat to that. Totally. Totally. So let's move forward just a little bit now. So we talked about your inspirations and the early beginnings for you. How about some of those early musical projects that you started getting involved in? How did that go? And like, what made you want to be a part of them? What was that, that desire that made you want to get into that? Um, like as far as sort of my, the first bands I was in. Yeah. 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 Like some of the, some of the early bands that, that you were in, whether that's like, high school or even earlier if you did or just like yeah there there was a couple like there was a couple high school experimentations but uh-huh. it was is that, a, is that a word experiments that um they didn't really go far i, I uh-huh. just did a couple talent show things i was very pretty timid of anything like that i was just used to like the worship setting right and was very comfortable and like you know your chords mm. and it's all pretty templated out yeah yeah uh, we can you got the sheet in fr- yeah we can relate to that because we've done it yeah you got so, the sheet but, in front of you and you just follow along yeah exactly yeah. but but diving into like um you know like i backed up my my school choir for a couple like gospel songs and that like really stretched my brain and like a couple talent show things with uh a Jimi Hendrix thing or something like that. Um, you said so that stuff, it started getting me a little prepared, but what really did it was just a crash course after high school. This, um, worship band called the Terry Kelly band just mm-hmm. offered me a full-time job. I was going to go to college and play music and they offered me a full-time gig. So I was like, well, I could either go learn or I could just go do. That ain't half bad after high school. Yeah, and it was like a salary like position. It was crazy. So mm-hmm. that's what that's what really got he and Terry, the lead guy, was a really good teacher um, musically as far as like the roles of the instruments. And mm-hmm. it, uh, I learned a lot from him and being in that scenario of just you know not just slamming away on chords, but picking one or two notes, picking a counter melody and, Mm -hmm. you know, complimenting the bass, all that kind of stuff. Um, excuse me. But so that got me on a good path. And then my solo stuff, I started towards the tail end of that. Um, and that was just really just a crash course in making music all on my own, realized I was decent enough to be able to play most of the instruments so my that and that stuff's online. It's just called Gummerman. Um, it was me just playing everything and writing and getting into electric guitar just because I heard it in my head. Yeah, you know that wasn't even very good at electric back then. But I would have like a solid rhythm section, mm-hmm. a solid structure, and be like, "Man, this sure could use some electric." I guess I'll just sit down and plug away at it. Yeah, hack away until Uh I figure out some cool lines. Um, So it was a lot of just trial and error as far as 
learning the electric goes. Um, and the, the solo stuff was really healthy for me. Um, it got me a lot of confidence, which I didn't have much confidence in singing lead yeah. vocal in a band. Mm. Uh, and it was kind of terrifying. Yeah. But I just forced myself to do shows. Um, and it, I learned a lot. Uh, definitely made me a better singer and a better musician. Um, so that and I did a few local bands after that. And everything's just been leading up to what I'm doing now um, in a strange way. I'm a multi-instrumentalist and singing and everything that I've worked on has been just totally utilized in this, this band, which is very gratifying, you know? Totally. It's like a culmination of all those things. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, sometimes you only end up using like a percentage of, you know, what you learned in school or like Uh a percentage of your, you know, your, your passion might be 50, 50 of some hobby and, and your job. Um, but I've just kind of lucked out to having the whole thing, you know, everything that I've worked on in my life is being used maybe instead of sports. I don't, I don't get paid for (laughs) sports. Uh, yeah. So it sounds like you've pretty much been a multi-instrumentalist from like the very beginning, right? Totally. Yeah. Violin, piano, and I guess vocalist, but not in the lead vocal sense, but just, you know, you're always singing in church and Mm -hmm. I grew up in a boy choir too. I forgot to mention that. Oh, nice. Nice. Man, you've had a lot of experiences then. Yeah. That was great for harmony and locking in. Like that was huge because there's no music. You're just, well, there might've been a piano, but it's a lot of acapella just. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, That's what holds the rhythm down is everybody singing together. Yeah. So theory wise between like the violin and piano and group singing, like I had so much, such a solid foundation of theory and how harmony and melody work together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It's I'm, I'm well equipped to be in a band. Oh, no doubt. That's great. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to ask you about like how, Oh, you're, you're this versatile multi-instrumentalist now. And so what made you want to, pick up that next instrument and just keep going. But you've already kind of established, we've already kind of established the fact that like you kind of like, that's how it always was for you since the beginning is like always, always having more than one instrument. Um, and like you even said in the beginning, like your parents started you with the violin and then the piano shortly after. So like you weren't even deciding, like it was just kind of put into your lap in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and passion, passion's a big deal, you know, like I think jumping around was a big help because it's so easy to get burned out. Like if I, if I only did piano, like over and over, you get burned out. I mean, unless you're, you're just a savant and you are in love with it, mm-hmm. um, jumping around and following passions. Yeah. That, that was a big outlet of just like, I'm going to go to the church and like crush the drums for an hour because I can, and like I just listened to some rage, you know. Yeah, and I got some energy that needs to just <laughs> yeah, get out. So, you know, the following the passions is a that's a big deal. Mm. Um, I mean, that's that's not yeah. any, any new nugget of wisdom, but it was it was helpful in just putting that energy into something useful, you know. That yeah. You want to learn something new. I mean, I wanted to learn electric because of all those bands I was listening to. Yeah. And, 
And it kind of keeps you fresh, you know, the instrument. That yeah, exactly. Strong in, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, yeah, I it's... actually can't hear him that well. Um, I, I don't know if he can scoot a hair closer. Yeah. Can you scoot a hair he's... closer, Nick? Yeah. I huh. just don't know if he's been commenting and I haven't heard him. No, he's been pretty quiet. <laughs> yeah, just enjoying listening right now. But... I've been talking a lot, sorry. Yeah, no, no, no that's, that's good because we want to hear from you. No problem. So, yeah, I, th I was going to ask you about uh, what you saw as like the value of having – that multi-instrumentalist background and being able to play the mul uh, all those different instruments, multiple instruments. And I think you were kind of answering it as like, you know, it gives you, uh, it keeps you sharp and it keeps you from getting too bored. And yeah, it's, it's exciting. Yeah. It's exciting yeah. To be able to jump around. Uh, honestly, in the beginning, it was probably, probably, probably kind of a street cred thing in like church. Uh -huh. Of just like, like oh, the drummer left early for altar call. Like they don't have anyone playing drums. I'm gonna go play drums. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, right. trying to make eye contact with the worship leader. Like you want some drums? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, and but it it was probably just subconscious in playing in orchestras my whole life and and hearing all those parts. You know, you you can't help but. Uh, just appreciate the different roles of an orchestra, of a composition. So to be able to take over that role, it's just exciting. Like bass mm -hmm. is so much fun to play. You have so much power and and the color over the color of the song and like, mm -hmm. you know, where you push the chords when you're on bass, not to mention just sonically, like it's so big. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just exciting to be able to jump around. Um, and like you said, it keeps you fresh, you know? Mm. Yeah. Why don't you take the... Yeah, sure. Um, when did you decide that you were going to pursue music, you know, as your career? Was it kind of right out of high school when you got the, the position in that band where you were like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life? Or was it, you know, was it just kind of a natural thing that happened or was it a conscious decision that you, that you made? Um, well, obviously knowing my background that, it was a pretty obvious direction that the, mm. the band that offered me a job was a huge shove in that direction. Mm. Yeah. When I was going to go to school, I was going to study music in college and play soccer. And there was still a part of me that was like, maybe I could still play soccer. Like, yeah. you know, I could, I, I wasn't. So the by then guy. your mind was already kind of turning towards that. It was, that, that I was realizing I probably needed to make a decision of where I was going to spend my time. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I thought maybe I could try and pursue soccer, um, past a collegiate level. But once the, the job offer came and it was like, ah, I mean, I don't think I'm getting called into the MLS tomorrow. Like I might as well. It was kind of like music or soccer. Like, what are you going to do? And, mm. and one of those, one of those, uh, passions, offered me a job so it was yeah. kind of a no-brainer and it's probably gonna last me a lot longer in my uh adulthood <laughs> than than soccer is yeah. yeah 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 your your body will be able to last longer with it that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> so it's almost like in a way the the music with that offer that came up to you it's almost like it kind of chose you when you were trying to decide in yeah, a way, and right? it, yeah and it's it's a an obvious product of of everything that happened in my life i mean i i got offered the job because i 
had some talent and um you know they needed they needed what i had you know like they were a three-piece band and they were like sure it'd be nice to have some keys and they they just saw me playing at church like they came through it was like a traveling christian okay now band. when you say they you're referring to the people that first who worship gig yeah. Offered you, yeah they came through as a guest at our church and i guess the the home worship team played a couple songs mm-hmm. and then probably turned the service over to to the these new like the band passing through you know, so that that was the only reason. I mean, I didn't go looking for a gig. They just saw yeah. me play at church and was like, "Sometimes it happens that way." Yeah, it'd be nice. Be nice to have some keys. So it it was a tough decision though to like forego college. I already had a deposit down, so it was mm. a, it was a conversation with my parents of, "What do you think about this?" And mm. and the band was like, "Yeah, we're not gonna." You know, we're not going to let you take the job if your parents are going to be pissed. Mm-hmm. Um, so they wanted their blessing. And um, so that's a huge – That actually, that's one thing that I haven't mentioned that was a huge reason of what where I am today was because my parents always supported, always drove me to lessons, like even supported the transition from like classical to church music to – letting me like dabble in the rock stuff and like Hmm. even when it gets down to like college and thinking like, Hey, what if I don't go to college, which is a huge Hmm. no, no for so many parents, you know, and instead just go play music. And they were so supportive, which I was a little surprised, you know, I was a little worried. I was Mm -hmm. an 18 year old, but they were like the best supportive unit always been my biggest supporters in all my wow. bands wow that's great it certainly helps yeah oh it makes it it's a crucial crucial difference when you have parents that are opposing the things that you're passionate about versus them encouraging you it just gives you an uneasy you. feeling when they're upset about yeah it, it might make my lyrics a little softer a little less angsty but yeah yeah mentally mental health wise i'm in great shape yeah it's worth it it's worth it in the end so so let's so let's take it now to what we're all kind of dying to hear about and a lot of people who are going to listen are, are really wondering about. And that's, and that's when you jumped into Mute Math. So, so you came into Mute Math just after they completed Odd Soul, right? Yes. So you after, weren't, right as they released it. Mm-hmm. So, so you weren't involved with making Odd Soul? Nope. I was just practicing the tracks as they were finishing them. Mm-hmm. They had hit a good groove. Uh, well, you know, Greg quit, and so they were like, well, let's just try the next record as a, the three of us. I mean, they're obviously very competent musicians, and mm-hmm. they had hit a really good workflow, just the three of them, and so they wanted to try and make it happen. Mm. Um, Roy's been playing uh-huh. guitar longer than he has bass. Right. So they, Rather than try to like launch this search for the replacement immediately, they opted yeah, for that. Yeah, especially on a getting a new guy for writing the writing process, like that's doubly hard, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, it made sense. I mean, Darren, when Darren first sat down with me, we were driving around. Uh, I can't remember. We were both on the road somewhere 
And his first thing I think was he showed me like a rough mix of blood pressure and maybe something like Pritania uh-huh. and was like, Hey, like check out some of our new record. What do you think? Do you think you'd be interested in playing guitar? Um, and what was interesting in that position was I was not necessarily a mute math fan. I was friends with Darren, uh, and we were, we yeah. weren't tight, but we were like friendly to each other. Yeah. So, so let's back up and talk about how this opportunity came up for you. Oh, you're, sure. You're, start, yeah. you're starting to get onto it, but let's, let's make sure we, cause we, yeah, it's yeah, very, we really yeah, would like to know. It, well, it was very organic. I lived in Springfield, Missouri for 15 years and mm-hmm. Darren grew up right outside there. Okay. So we just, over the years, had mutual friends that mm-hmm. uh, Jeremy Larson, uh, mm-hmm. Chris Slater, some dudes that were good musicians in that scene. And uh, so we would just see each other at shows. We ended up yeah. sitting in with Jeremy on a f- on several of his shows together. Um, you and Darren? And then, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me and Darren both mm-hmm. sat in on some of those shows. And then he would come to a couple of my solo shows for the government stuff that I mm-hmm. mentioned. So, and I had only seen one mute math show when it was in Springfield at a place called Remington's. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember being blown away, but especially just by Darren, which is a pretty common response to a first mute <laughs> math show. I just, I stared at him the whole time. Like I couldn't believe, yeah. I remember thinking like, this must have been like, this is what I imagine I would have felt watching John Bonham with Led Zeppelin. Yeah. A, a drummer with so much power and dexterity. Yeah. Um, Who's just controlling the energy of the whole room. Yeah, it was yeah. fascinating. Um, so I'd only seen one show. I think I saw part of another show at South by Southwest as well. So when he, yeah, when he approached me, I was kind of like, I needed some time. I was like, you know, I mean, definitely going to think about it. Let me check out the catalog. I mean, my, my first answer was this sounds great. Um, the guitar gig sounds great, but I'm a keyboard player. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I don't know. Like, let me listen to your catalog and see if I think I can pull off that stuff. Like it was a big stretch for me to say yes, because I wasn't just going to like commit to something that I didn't know how to do. You know, it's, yeah. I know it's there's a bit a of a leap of faith like, for you. Yeah. There's like, there's a big fake it till you make it kind of thing in a lot of jobs, but that, that's a terrifying thing in just like a four piece band to, to like think that you're going to fake it till you fake make it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just told him like, give me a little time to listen to the catalog and see um, if it's within my grasp. And really what ended up happening was, you know, I told him, yeah, like, let's give it a shot. And I just basically practiced every day for months um, learning the catalog. My first job was to learn the Armistice Live DVD. And the funny thing (laughs) about that was I worked on the parts for a long time, um, and I don't know why, but I was trying to learn it. I, I, 
like quickly realized that it helped a lot to like hit record and then listen back, which for anyone wanting to get better, like that's such a great tool and teacher because hopefully you're not, it's a lot harder to be forgiving when you're listening to playback as opposed to when you're playing along to something Mm -hmm. or if you solo that track, just like, what what comes back to you isn't lying to you. It's telling you the truth. So, so sloppy on that part or whatever. So I hit record and I was, I would try to do like complete takes of like the hour and a half DVD, like without messing up, which is so ridiculous. Um, so after like a week or two of trying to do like, you know, you get like a half hour in and like mess up a part and just be like, oh, <laughs> got to <God."> restart. <laughs> uh, so after doing that, I was like, this is so stupid. I'm putting way too much like pressure on like <laughs> doing a perfect hour and a half take. So I started just doing individual song takes mm. because my, my thinking was they kept pushing back the audition date cause they were still working on the record and I was getting impatient and I wanted to show them that things were going well. I, my, mm. my thinking of recording it was oh, if I get a good take, I could send it to them and that'll help like solidify my position. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like a hundred percent you got the job. I still had to, I was going to have to audition. And so when I started doing individual songs, you know, without any punch-ins, that was like, that was the best option. And I got, you know, I eventually got through the whole DVD doing that and had every song to where I thought it was pretty flawless. So I ended up sending it to Darren. I was like, Hey, here's, here's how it's going. Um, just, you know, letting you know, like, I know the stuff, so I'm excited to play. And he listened to it. And he was like, man, this is really good. Do you mind if I show the guys? And I was like, yeah. I was like, that's fine. I mean, I I figured that might happen. That's why, you know, partially why I sent it. Yeah. And he, so he brought it into Paul and Roy and were like, hey, Todd sent like practice tapes, you know, basically the DVD panned left and what he does panned right. And they were like, man, that's ballsy. Like Mm -hmm. a, remote audition and they were like all right let's hear it and i think it you know it went well um they were i think they're impressed that i picked out all the parts mm-hmm. without they never sent me anything separated like mm-hmm. i just it was just the, the final masters like i would listen to it right exactly yeah, yeah i was just picking out the parts off the dvd which is pretty tough on some songs like the mm-hmm. guitars just playing these you know, tricky walking lines, you dissonant, like, yeah, there was, there, there Especially was a lot. On Armistice, the, the guitar isn't, isn't necessarily the primary instrument on every song. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's like not the he, main thing he, driving it on everyone. Yeah. He jumps over to like the vibraphone at one point and I'm like just rewinding and rewinding and watching over and over. And like, it was so helpful when the camera would pan to him mm. <laughs> for guitar or yeah. like, vibes i was like oh that's how he's playing it like oh he's in that register on the guitar like it was like a it it was something like just a how a fan would learn the album um i didn't have yeah that was interesting that they didn't send me parts so that was another piece of the trial i guess tall order convincing but it you know it wasn't all like 
gravy after that. Like I still went in for like a two week boot camp and we worked on a, a, a set that we would play. And the first show was supposed to be in Oklahoma City for this one day festival where Flaming Lips was headlining. I think the last three was us, Primus, and Flaming Lips. Was that the one and, where like severe weather? Yeah, uh, right. Like rained it right. out or something. Exactly. Mm. So we we were on stage like a festival. You just throw and go. You throw your gear up and you start yeah. the show. And we had just got like everything turned on, and it's like okay, let's hit it. And this crazy wind mm. just storm just crushes the stage. Gale force winds like blowing <laughs> over like scaffolding. The big arch that the Flaming Lips have, they have this huge like half circle arch of lights. It blew it over wow. and it like wow. crushed Oklahoma. a bunch of their gear, like their <laughs> guitars and drums got crushed. That's crazy. Um, and I'm like grabbing my pedal board and guitar and I'm just like, this is supposed to be my first gig, but I'm getting the hell out of here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like we're just scampering for to get indoors. So that was insane. Huh. Um, so my, instead of that being my first show where like a bunch of my friends came out, my family, uh, it ended up being in Japan at Summer Sonic for like 5,000 screaming Japanese fans. And it was like probably the most nervous show I've ever done. Mm. I, you know, it was a new band and it was a new country, new set. Um, yeah, everything was I new. Usually, I usually don't perspire a whole lot on stage. And I remember vividly that that show I had a dress shirt on and I had a sport coat on and I sweat through, I looked like Paul or Darren. I sweat through the shirt and through the jacket, but it was just out of like nervousness. Yeah. Like it's, I wasn't doing handstands or like playing the drums. Yeah. I was just nervous. Um, yeah. But it, you know, I, I slowly got acclimated to that, that role in the band and it ended up great. Sweet. Awesome. Trial by fire a little bit in those in those early times. Yeah, it's scary. Even yeah. when you, even when you practice for months, you know, you, mm-hmm. it's not a real it's not a reality until you're in front of people. Right. And you and you can pull it off. That's like when that's, the rubber meets the road. Yeah, and that's how that's why bands try out songs in front of crowds, new songs and like you got to you need that give and take of like a reaction, yeah. you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so let's fast forward then a few years into the future where now you've got a few years under your belt in mute math. You've toured on odd soul and it's time for a new record. So the last record you guys did was vitals. Not if we're not including the remixes that you just released. Yeah. Um, So you did vitals and this time you're involved with the writing process, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So to what extent were you involved with this one? Um, what was kind of your role Well, on the Vitals record? It, it was an interesting transition. Um, the role starting out was kind of just wild card. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> one of my favorite Always Sunny in Philadelphia words to say. Charlie <laughs> says, wild card. Um, yeah, it it was an interesting thing because they had just written everything as a three piece. And so when we got in a room, you know, and you, you take a demo that someone's kind of worked up and you just grab and start playing. Um, 
it's not easy just to jam as a four piece anyway. Like you have to really know you have to pick your spots and know like you're not, not step on each other's toes and like everyone's very intelligent players in that camp. So honestly, in the beginning months, I was just doing a lot of like listening. I write a lot just by, I, I like to write by listening to whatever is there and just listen for holes, mm-hmm. like listen for gaps, listen, yeah. just use my mind. I to like that approach. Parts. So honestly, I was doing a lot of just listening to what the mm-hmm. three of them were doing and picturing parts. Um, and sometimes Roy would be on guitar so I'd mess around with bass or synth bass um, mm-hmm. or organ. Um, we had a B3 going after that Odd Soul stuff. Um, <laughs> so I didn't have a specific role necessarily. It, it really was kind of multi-instrumentalist, just wild card. But it, it, it took a long time to really find a groove of of what was going to be my main contribution. And I don't, I don't even think I can point to like one role Mm. that, that record. If you, if we break it down of what everything did, like it's all over the place. I mean, Roy played a lot of the guitars. Um, you know, I'm doing, sometimes I'm doing guitar on the track, then I'm doing a bunch of synth, then I'm doing synth bass, then I'm doing, you know, I tried to get some violin on the record. I don't, we got some on some tracks, but, I don't know if any of them made the album, but, um, hmm. so, so you were, yeah, you were jumping around then a mm-hmm. little, little bit of everything. It, yeah. It was reverting just to what I was most naturally going to express myself on, which is keyboards. Like if, when I think about music or I have an idea, you know, unless it's a huge open E chord where I can just slam it on the guitar, like I'm going to react and, um, offer fresh ideas through a keyboard like that's how my brain works mm-hmm. um so yeah i was sitting behind a keyboard a lot more of the time yeah and we were we were being a lot more exper- experimental with like like trying to get cool background vocal like beach boy kind of like stacked harmonies going which there's certainly some of that in the back catalog but we were we were trying to explore that on the early tracks mm-hmm um, a lot of them didn't end up making the cut, but we were trying to, there was a, there was a big like first half and second half of this record because we were under Warner brothers for like the first year. And then, you know, you're trying to do the label game where you're trying to like pass things through your A and R guy. And like, you're trying to, get the checkpoint of like, how about this song? How about this song? And like yeah. get it through the label. And then a year into it, like we're jumping through those ho- hoops and they drop us. So we're just like, yeah, we've been, we've been trying to filter everything through them and now we're on our own. And so it was kind of like, we almost wrote two records. Mm-hmm. Wow. There was like the Warner brothers year. And then there was a couple years of, okay, we have no one to answer to now. We're just going to do what we want to do. Yeah. Um, and so we took our time with it, obviously. Uh, the, I know the fans noticed, but... Mm. Yeah, we just, <laughs> I mean, put yeah. it in perspective, at least from my point of view, Odd Soul came out when I was a freshman in college, and I waited until after I graduated from college for the yeah. new one. 
Yeah. yeah, that does sound like a long time. Yeah, but there's a backstory to it. I mean, we're finding yeah, out now. there's that, that there's a reason the, for it. Yeah, the yeah. label thing was a mess, and it really it it really um, jammed things up. Because um, we weren't, it even took a while to get like officially dropped. Like we couldn't, we were scared to like release a record while we weren't even didn't have the yeah. papers. Mm-hmm. Because we didn't we didn't want them claiming anything right. that we had worked on under their umbrella. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Absolutely. So there was there was a weird time in there where we were just kind of waiting. And once we got the final like release, then we felt free to like just start cranking stuff out. Yeah. Um, and the, so the majority that first thing was all in New Orleans. The first half we rented a house on Oak street in uh, new Orleans. And this whole second half was at Darren's uh, part, partly at his house in Tyler, Texas, and then partly in a basement of a print shop <laughs> that he, he ended up making a studio in the bottom of a print so shop. Awesome. It was that. like yeah. a huge metal door that used to be a fur storage. It was called like Fishman's fur storage. So whenever we go down the steps, we have to like crank this huge vault door open, Whoa. go nice. into our little studio and then crank the door shut again, which it, it definitely helps for like yeah. sound isolation. But oh yeah. That's awesome. Would you was, say there's, was, would you say there's a particular, uh, song or just a memory, uh, from, from this record that just really stands out to you? Could even be the, you know, day recording, just one instance that really just kind of stuck out. Um, yeah, there, there would be a couple, I guess. Um, we, uh, we jammed on, we jammed on light up for hours trying to find like different vibes Mm -hmm. for how that song was going to go. And I I have vivid memories of just sitting on synth bass, like trying different things. Hmm. Everyone was trying different things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, just long, I have memories of long jams. I have memories of Darren in this drum closet, room within a room, drum closet that he built, barely enough room for the kit. And there's no doorknob on the door. So I would like do little Snapchat, like little vines through the doorknob of him just like eyes closed, just like sweating in this tiny <laughs> room with no AC and just like, uh, he's one of the only drummers where I feel like I could listen to him with no reference, no other music reference, you know, like no headphones on. Like I can just listen to him mm. and be entertained. Yeah. Um, you don't have to hear it in context with the song. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's just like, man, this, this is, this song's going to be great. Yeah. I don't even know what's going on. I've joked that with my friends before. Like if I went to a mute math show and it was just Darren drumming for an hour, I'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know if I have any awesome stories for you. Um, I remember remain working on remain and it's such a beautiful, beautiful song. I remember getting emotional Hmm. working on that and getting really excited and the lyrics, um, we had a little battle over the timing of the lyrics of the, the bridge where it's just keep fighting, just Mm -hmm. keep trying. I remember having a, a debate about the timing of the, the lyrics because Darren wrote that song 
which blew me away. Um, and his timing of those bridge lyrics was a little different than what we ended up using because the rest of us, we had already gotten to this place of like, oh, this, like the way that they're on the record is what all three of us were like, oh, that's so powerful. Like, it's just like, like the, the cadence is kind of on the offbeat. So, mm. you know, just keep fighting, yeah. just keep. And Darren, had, he had shifted everything in his mind, the way he wrote it. It was a, a little bit earlier. It's hard to describe, but it's funny how just a little timing change um, and, and you have a big debate over that. But, um, yeah, I just remember a lot of fond memories of just sitting around, jamming. We have a tendency to all, like, eventually be crowded around one keyboard and like all be turning knobs all of us be turning knobs <laughs> mm-hmm. to like whatever like paul would be playing the line on the keyboard and then me and darren like i'm on the pitch shifter and like some other knob and darren's working the filter <laughs> just fun fun mem- fun memories of that kind of stuff That's you awesome. know? oh that is yeah. fun sounds awesome cool, cool. so okay so you, you talked a little bit about this but i want to dig just a tad deeper if we can when you're when you're working on a song and you're trying to work out a part you're trying to find the right sound or the right texture. Um, how you how are you thinking about that? Are you thinking like in terms of like the end result of like how how is this going to hit the listener when they hear it? How's it going to make them feel? Um, is it going to stick out to them or is it just going to blend in and they're not really going to notice it? Or, or do you not think about that at all and you just think about um, what you're listening for, what you're trying to put into it, kind of like just how yeah. it hits you? Are you thinking yeah. about it in that greater context or, or I don't. are you just in the moment? Yeah, I, I try to stay in the moment. I th- I think Paul is probably the most mindful of like, yeah. how is this going to hit a crowd? Uh-huh. Um, I tend to be very narrow minded in that situation. And and I'm, I'm actually I, I struggle a little bit with like what I think the final sound should be or like the type of instrument that should even be playing that. When I think of parts, like I I actually tend to strictly be thinking about how this melody or counter harmony or counter melody plays against the chord structure or the melody. Hmm. Um, So I'm thinking very like linear, like, the way this interacts is so cool in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, let's try this. And I, I would, I would pitch a couple ideas or, you know, sometimes pitch an idea to the guys that would be like, how about this, this line over this mm-hmm. melody, but yeah. I would just play it on like a dry guitar tone. That was just like, just a shitty crap. Sorry. A, a crappy dry guitar tone. Uh, you can say whatever you want here. <laughs> oh yeah. It's a podcast, right? It's a podcast. You, you can say whatever TV. you want. A very shitty guitar tone. Yeah, you can say um, shit. Say it. <laughs> I would, just, you know, I'd just demo the <laughs> the idea, uh-huh. and sometimes they would struggle to feel the same way about it until I would like dial up a good tone and present it in a in context. Of yeah, like, I understand that with some reverb, or you know, uh, but that's something that I always struggle with. Like I. I just I have an idea and I want to get that melody down. So like just 
just get it down on any instrument yeah. and then I'll, I'll worry about like cool tone later. So you think like, in just, terms of like, let's just get the bare bones idea to begin with and then we can start worrying about mm. dressing right. it up as we go. Yeah. Cause I always worry about capturing that moment. Yeah. Cause there's so many times where you have something when you're walking on the street. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, that would be great. And if you don't make a little voice memo of it or like write a note. Oh yeah. yeah it's gone. The time you get back home, you're just like, it's you know, over. No, no idea. Yeah. What I yeah. So yeah. Oh, of course. Absolutely. So how about, um, what about like uh, creative blocks? You ever run into creative blocks or you feel like you're hitting a brick wall? when you're when you're trying to write parts or uh, yeah or when you're working on vitals too that happens yeah all the time man it sucks what's your method or what's your mindset or your approach for overcoming those times um i don't i don't have a proven method it's it's usually just perseverance um i am certainly like an advocate of taking breaks though and like going to do like I'm just going to go play disc golf for an hour and like maybe I'll think of it when I'm on hole nine, you know, Mm. or, you know, maybe when you come back on fresh ears, it's all of a sudden it's really obvious. Um, but when it's, when it's a writer's block for like days that at that point, it's just usually just perseverance and like trial and error of, of, I'm not inspired at all, but I'm just going to like scroll through these presets until I find a keyboard sound that mm-hmm. I think would be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it can, there's, there's little tricks that can help, you know, jump, jump to a different track, like come back to it later. Um, mm-hmm. try and try and run something through an amp that's, that you've never done before or put a, yeah. mm-hmm. put a pedal on a keyboard. You know, there's technological tricks that can, tr- you can, try and manufacture an inspiration out of yeah but um trick your ears a little bit so to speak because yeah. maybe yeah. They, maybe they got used to hearing something too many times and it seems yeah, like so that, yeah yeah exactly there can be little tricks like that um but writer's block in general is something i've struggled with for years and it's usually just for me it's just forcing myself to work mm-hmm. despite like i don't feel like writing at all today i don't feel like writing this week um but life is short yeah and that's that's what i do for a living so Mm, i'm gonna go out i'm gonna go out and i'm at least gonna try and write even if i don't like what i end up with i'm gonna i'm gonna go try and work for a few hours you know Mm -hmm. yeah there's there's a great book out there about this very thing it's called the war of art by uh, stephen pressfield and, oh, I think I've heard about that. Yeah, it's, check. it's pretty popular, um, but it speaks directly to what you just said, basically, is like, whether I feel it or not, like, this is what I got to do. Um, and he talks about your biggest enemy being what he calls resistance. And that's like always that thing that's pushing up against you. And mm-hmm. like, so, yeah, it's I definitely recommend that book. I got to read that, too. Yeah. yeah. And especially to like, anybody who's listening, it's just a great read. Yeah, I'm actually going to jot that down here. But um especially when if if and when you work from home like that's the easiest situation to just get distracted yes, to where you you could distract yourself forever because you've mm-hmm. got like stuff that needs to be fixed on the house you need to do yard work you need to yeah. organize your house like you need to take care like make dinner like it's so easy to like 
feel like you're being productive even though you didn't actually work on music at all that day. Yeah. You can um, get into all that little busy work and then and then by the end of the day you didn't really touch the the music. Nothing stuff. to show for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. the the best way that I've gotten around that or I kind of lucked out was I when I moved to Nashville I I turned my garage into a studio. And even though it's connected to the house, like when I go out, I go out of the the house door and I take the five steps into the garage door, like even though it's five steps, there's a little bit of a switch in my head that's like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm this is work. Like I'm going mm-hmm. in here to create. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's even a huge help over my last house when I, it was just in a bedroom. And so it was just a lot easier to get distracted or pulled into some just BS with the house that you wanted to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was one other thing I was going to say about that. Uh, shoot, I lost it. Uh, I am going to check out that book though, because mm. I I could use use some knowledge. Yeah. It's yeah. written in just like this really. It's like it's not like other books. Um, it's written in like this really just kind of to the point abruptness. The pages are short. You go through them really quick. Um, it's it's a kick in the pants. That's for sure. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you take sixteen? Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, if you were working on a record, uh, like vitals that was really involved and you knew that not very many people were going to hear it, uh, would you still put the same level, um, of heart and passion into making it? If you knew it was just something that maybe, you know, a couple hundred people are going to hear or a few hundred thousand people are going to hear, does yeah. that kind of change your, you know, what you put into it? Would you say? Um, well, personally, Yes, I, I would hope. I would hope anyone in that position w- would answer yes. I know it can be discouraging when you think you have a very limited audience of mm. your family and like your ten friends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's that's tough. But I, you know, I think the biggest solution to that is wanting to surprise yourself, or you know. Um, impress yourself like if you can make a song and you get and you finish it and you feel impressed by what you did like just in your own mind in your own satisfaction Mm -hmm. like that's one of the biggest victories to me absolutely because you know you know your limitations and you know if you pushed some boundaries when you made that track and I mean, that, that's one of the biggest things to me. Um, and so, one, you know, I, I guess I can be a little bit of a testament to why you shouldn't just phone it in. Uh, it, it's just because a lot of what I worked on is what got me this gig. Uh, mm-hmm. The solo stuff that Darren saw me play at those local shows and the, the other band that I was in that he came to was called Cornbelt Chorus. Um a lot of what I was working on was a very limited audience. It was just my family and friends. Mm -hmm. I would throw it online and try and generate some feedback. Like on this, you remember the 61, that was a website that was kind of cool for music for a while. Um, you know, MySpace comments, whatever (laughs) you, you would try and get some, just some feedback just to, you have no idea. Like it's so hard to gauge like, is this song legit or am I just excited because I made a song and finished it? Mm-hmm. 
But, you know, the testament, at least from, from my life, is it it scored me a sweet gig. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I and that's not always going to be the case. I mean, people that make music, it's not always going to get heard by more than mm-hmm. 10 people. But I, there has to be that internal satisfaction. You yeah. Because that, that has you're to gonna, fuel you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to get writer's block, and that's the, that's the best way to get through it is to stretch your mind, stretch your brain, try and come up with a part that you are excited about, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And usually I think that that excitement often comes through in a track. Yeah, and that's what keeps you going. Totally, those, yeah. Those types of moments and those. All right, so so we're, this is going to be the last question, and we'll wrap it up because – we want to be respectful of your time. We've been going a little while now. So cool, man. What would you say, uh, in terms of your artistic accomplishments, which one are you most proud of and why? Um, it's a good question. Um, it's hard for me to, I'm not the kind of guy that ever chooses one definitive answer. Sorry. Um, it doesn't have to be just one. I mean, the answer is the answer. Well, yeah, yeah. It, you know, there, there's some stuff that's t- kind of tied up there for the top. I mean, I, I'm really proud of my solo project. Uh, I don't, I don't think I'm the, I have the best voice for like a lead singer, but I kind of pushed through that anyway and still made a, a good batch of songs that I'm proud of mm-hmm. and played, you know, played all the instruments. And to me, that was a really satisfying that's a, that's a big deal. Use of creativity. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's one of my favorite things. Um, you know, being on the vitals record is, is a huge, uh, personal like feather in my cap that I feel, you know, that was my first album on like a mass scale. Mm -hmm. So that was a pretty big deal. Um, to me, to, you know, just to my artistic, catalog you know oh yeah actually this this remix this remix that we just stuff that we did i did one track by myself Mm -hmm. um and i was really happy with how that came out um it's just a remix but but, um but it was still a really i've never done a remix before so it was a it was a big stretch for me um so i was very happy with that that's a create if you've never done it before to undertake something like that that's a creative challenge Mm. yeah yeah, it, it was kicking my ass for for weeks trying to just find a cool concept, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that that was a testament to writer's block and just persevering through it. We were we were working on that record on the road, which is twice as hard, <laughs> just because you're in a different setting every day. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, w- I would say those are probably the top three. Um, that that. Southern rock band that I mentioned called the Corn Belt Chorus. I'm really, I'm really proud of, of our full length that we did. That, that was a, a nice accomplishment too. Nice. Nice. And if people wanted to find out more about this kind of stuff, where would they go? So the mute math stuff, that's all, all online. If they just look up mute math, right? Mute math.com. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, it's all, all pretty on the much major on, social on channels. Google. It's all on Google. Yeah, uh, Gummerman is my Gummerman solo stuff. project. 
the Corn Belt Chorus is that um, Southern Rock mm-hmm. local band that we did um, that's really got some great stuff on it. I would mm-hmm. encourage people to check that out. Um, and I'm producing this girl named Ellie Schmidley right now. Just got a beautiful voice, um, kind of sultry, thick, like mm-hmm. somewhere around Feist, you know, arena. But but her idol is kind of like Julie Andrews, like Sound mm-hmm. of Music. So there's a lot of classic in her voice. Yeah. Um, so we've been we've been working on some stuff um, that people can check out. At least one track right now. There's one called Sister. Um, and she's just got a great voice. I would encourage people to check that out too. And her name again was Julie. Uh, it's Ellie. Oh, I'm Schmidley. sorry. Julie Andrews was the yeah, inspiration. No, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Ellie Schmidley. Ellie, Ellie Schmidley. So you can check her out. Todd's solo work is under Gummerman. He was in a band Corn Belt Chorus and then Mute Math, obviously, which everyone should know. But if you don't know Mute Math, oh my gosh. Like, go check <laughs> what are you it waiting out for? right now. Don't wait another moment. <laughs> uh, Todd, uh, I just want to say thanks for your time today and for coming on our show and talking about about your life as an artist and all the music yeah. you've been a part of. It's um, my pleasure, man. Dude, dude, I'm super stoked. It was it was really enjoyable for me. I hope I hope you got something out of it too. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I appreciate talking to the people. Um, I, I need to check out your podcast. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be out pretty soon. I'm, uh, I'm going to be having it out this month, and I'm going to. I've got some episodes that I've recorded, and I'm still editing and putting stuff together. So I'm going to be dripping them out, kind of, kind of like on an every other week basis to start with. Um, yeah. And uh, if it picks up from there, if there's more demand, then you know we'll pick it up. But yeah. Yeah. I'm just curious, what's your favorite like musical related podcast? I, I don't do that very often, but I sh- probably should. I know I heard like the song Exploder for, for one or two songs that I thought. I've heard really a little good. bit of that really one. Um, I'd have to look at my podcast list. Yeah, he did like a... I saw one. I discovered it because he did one with Tycho and, I'm, and I really like Tycho. Oh, yeah. Mm. I think he did one with uh, maybe a Death Cab, the Death Cab guy that did the music side. Or not Death Cab, the Postal Service guy that, that uh, made the music. Ben Gibbard. Um, and that was great. I, I He did one other one that that was really cool. I can't remember. There's a guy called, shoot, I don't, I don't know. But his podcast is really cool. I was just curious if you had any favorites. I actually, ironically, I don't listen to a ton of music podcasts. I don't either. I should Mostly start. ones that are like kind of about art People who are like musicians, but it's not like specifically about music. Like, oh yeah, that's um, cool. Like Stephen Christian, former lead singer of Anne Berlin, like he had a podcast where he was kind of talking a lot of stuff that we talked today. Um, but it's not like he's like playing songs and breaking it down like that. And uh, a guy named Matt Carter has a show called Break It Down, where he does some part of the time he's talking to musicians and they're breaking stuff down like that, and other times it's science and tech and. Um, so those are a couple that I like, but they're not specifically like music per se, hmm. but I should yeah. go find some more. Yeah. I, I've been stuck on a very small cluster of podcasts, which Same is, here. it's yeah. basically Bill Burr and which is the Monday morning podcast and car talk. Like that's been yeah. <laughs> like all I listen to really. Yeah. Um, 
I've gone through other phases too, but yeah, a lot of my podcasts are actually it's like it's either something arts related or it's about politics. So that's yeah. that's me personally. But you know who's really well rounded is um, the Let's Make It Weird with Pete Holmes. Yeah, heard I've th- heard him before. I've never he's, looked up at his show, but I, I've I've heard him on other shows as a guest, and and he's really interesting. Yeah, I actually haven't heard much of his stand-up or like anything else. I've just heard a lot of his podcast episodes, and he's a great interviewer uh, of just – and he blends the arts and and always works in like whatever people think about religion. Mm-hmm. And he, he just – he keeps a really well-rounded interview. Um, you should check it out. There's a mm-hmm. lot of like – famous people on there that it's fun to hear what they have yeah. to say. Yeah. He's in LA, so he's got access to all the people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. Check that one out. Yeah. I've heard him before. Yeah. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, um, we won't keep you any longer and we just want to ah, say great. thanks again. Thank you, Todd. It's Encourage nice all you. the people to look up all the stuff and, and just gobble it up. Cause it's really good stuff. So yeah. Great talking to you, man. Um, and mute math is playing, uh, in new Orleans in a few weeks. If anyone okay. hears this podcast, I think we're doing voodoo fest. Right on. Sweet. And I think we're coming back to Nashville right after that to play, uh, Nashville. So mm. yeah. Keep, yeah. Keep, keep, Next time you guys are on tour and you run through Chicago, I'll definitely try to make it out. Me too. Cause these days awesome. I'm more around there. So yeah, man. All right, Love man. It. Hopefully we can have you back in the future. Maybe we'll see. Yeah, good to see you, man. All right. All right. Take care, man. Take care. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks. You too. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Who's listening to this show right now? I bet there's a good chance you aren't following us on social media. Let's fix that. Look up Every Last Drop Podcast on Facebook and like our page. Find us on Twitter at ELD Podcast. And find us on Instagram under the same name at ELD Podcast. So won't you do me a kindness and follow us? Do it now. That was Todd Gummerman, everyone. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Todd. That was fun. Yeah, thanks for coming on this show. It, you know, I had fun. Did you have fun? I had a lot of fun. Cool you guy. Know, oh, for sure. Very uh, down-to-earth and humble and approachable yeah. and uh, interesting. Yeah. You you showed me the band Mute Math. What was it like five years ago? Mm, Maybe more. More than could that. be more. It seems like I hit. Yeah, I've been listening to Mute Math for a long, long time. Basically, since I was oh, uh, I think seventh grade was the year that I like got into them. Mm-hmm. And I, what was I like, twelve or thirteen years old? Something like that. You saw them live. What was it? Four or five years ago. Mm, let's see i think i was um, 19 years old maybe yeah. so yeah four or five years ago nice first time i saw them live cool. house of blue chicago uh that's they were on their odd soul tour so yeah it had to be when i was 18 or 19 years old 19 i think yeah and basically um it was th- that was a really interesting interview because uh it was almost kind of surreal in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, not totally because, um, and I don't mean this as a, I'm not dissing Todd. I love Todd, but Todd's not a founding member of the band. Right. So right. just being honest, you don't get the same wow effect, I guess, as if you were like talking to the guy who started it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so, but again, I don't mean that to diss Todd. Like he's just as much mute math as any of the other guys are now. Mm-hmm. He's a member. So, yeah. um, but you know, I think I'm at a point now where I'm, I'm a little bit older. I mean, I'm not really that old, but I'm, if I would have done this, say, you know, three years ago, mm. I would have totally been freaking out and <laughs> yeah. like probably not even been able to keep my composure. I am talking Quite to... Quite starstruck. Exactly. Yeah. I am talking to a member of my favorite band. Yeah. I can't even hold myself together. Uh-huh. And now I think I've matured enough to where uh, I can see them as just, you know, they're just as much of just a regular guy. Like, they're, they're just as human as me. It helps when they're... <laughs> when they're kind and, and, and humble and down, you know, yeah, down and, to earth people, you know, yeah, like it, it makes you feel like it's uh, a friend to friend conversation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So yeah, I mean, that was great. Mute math's been my favorite band for, for a long, long time for yeah. a decade. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, and you know, this is a fulfillment of, uh, of a dream in a way. Absolutely. So, this is a milestone for me. You yeah. Know? This is a big deal for me, guys. Yeah. Uh, I met Todd through uh, a friend of mine has a um, cab company, but he also does some amps and stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, any musicians out there, I uh, look up JaniceCabs.com. Uh, I was through a couple, about a year in college or so. I was kind of uh, sort of interning for him on the side. Um and I contacted Mute Math to see if they were interested in the products. And uh, Todd is the one who wrote back to me. And we met with them at a show in Indianapolis. And I just kind of kept Todd's contact info and texted him here and there. And uh, that led to, uh, I guess we're not like super friends or anything, but we're acquaintances. Mm-hmm. And uh, believe me, it, it's it's almost like I was saying before. It was, it's almost kind of surreal to me just to even be on acquaintance terms with a guy who's in my favorite band ever. Yeah. yeah. Let alone, you know, I I hope you know we can, you know, like be friends someday. And mm-hmm. if he ever comes through the area, like invite him to disc golf or something because he's into that. Or invite him to a bonfire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I feel like he'd be down to hang. Yeah. You know, like. Hey Todd, you want to come hang out, have a fire, have some beers? Yeah. I think he'd be like if he had the time. If you're listening to this right now, Todd, uh, we we are inviting you over. We're gonna go bowling next week, so yeah. come with yeah. us. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're hitting up the bowling alley. We'll buy a pitcher. Yeah, you know, we'll <laughs> yeah, we'll have a good old time at Inman's. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. yeah. So, cool. uh. I don't know what else to say about that. I think that interview just speaks for itself, mm-hmm. doesn't it? It does. It does. So he's a man of many, many talents. He, you know, he is uh, like even more diverse in his experiences and skill set than I thought he was. Yeah. And I knew he was a multi instrumentalist going into this, mm-hmm. but I didn't know all that background history of like how he could start with violin i don't know if he does violin now but like just the fact he started on that yeah yeah um and how like he's just been on all these kinds of different instruments like just since the beginning of his life basically the transition from classical to more rock to yeah to rock and grungy kind of rock and it it's very fascinating it is it's kind of unusual in a way but Mm -hmm. hey you know yeah we all end up in places that we didn't think we would be. 
That's for for sure. That is for sure, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think I'd be a whip maker 10 years ago. I had no clue. Yeah? You know? I didn't think I'd be uh, selling jewelry for a living, but hey, <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> what you going to do about that, you know? Yeah. On that note, let's transition to picks. All, all right. right. Quick refresher for all you newbies out there. If you're, if you're, turning, if you're tuning in for the first time, if you're a, a Mute Math fan who found this and you don't know who in the heck we are, mm-hmm. each week we sit down and we talk to somebody who's, uh, well, not each week, but every so often we sit down and we talk to an artist of any kind of art medium and talk to them about their art and why they do it. And then, uh, and then we talk about our picks, mm-hmm. which is what we're into for the week. Any, any piece of art that we've uh, consumed uh, during the week that we just are really digging and really uh, share it with loving you. and yeah. encourage you to check out for yourself. Mm-hmm. So here we go on that note. Picks. Right. It's our picks. Oh, my bad. Yeah. So I would have to say my, my pick of the week would have to be these videos on YouTube that I've been watching. I've been watching these videos on carpentry woodworking i i'm not very good at woodworking my my father is pretty good at it he's made tables and chairs actually this desk we're actually sitting at right now my not dad that you guys can see it but trust yeah. trust me believe uh-huh. me it's good it's huge <laughs> yeah it is. it is it is it really is huge. it actually is for a table yeah but uh i've been watching these these woodworking videos of these guys anything from you know wood carving to uh just guys making tables and stuff and they're very relaxing to watch, and uh, it's just something about them. I can't name one off the top of my head, a YouTube channel, but it's just something. It's the satisfaction from watching these videos. I guess as a craftsman myself, uh, who appreciates these things, as a photographer, as a as a whip maker, I I I find these videos to be uh, somewhat uh, soothing. <laughs> you know, I find that interesting. Um, I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. I'll say that I wasn't expecting it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're always into something that's this one isn't I wouldn't say it's quite like out there uh-huh. uh, like woodworking is not an unusual hobby or even profession mm-hmm. not that everybody knows how to do it but it's not like this way out in left field like when you tell people you're a whip maker people go what wait what what's that what do you mean <laughs> you you make whips yeah. but when you say oh I'm I'm a woodworker or you know I make cabinets or I make tables or furniture wooden stuff like that people go oh okay i understand that but i didn't Mm. i didn't know you were interested in it i am yeah yeah any any craftsmanship uh where people are making stuff from scratch i just have this appreciation for it you know whether or not i'm i'm i've I've done it whether or not i'm good at it uh or if i've even tried it in my life i just i watch it count as appreciation if uh you enjoy the usefulness of the end result like this table I, I appreciate so. it because it's such a great table that's uh-huh. spacious and sturdy. Yeah. And does that count as appreciating it? <laughs> I mean, in some ways, yes. But I think there's a whole other kind of – I feel like there's some people that can't just sit through it. 20 minute video of a guy doing step by step making a table or whatever. And that's fine. If that's not your thing, that's cool. But like, I feel like there's kind of a whole nother, um, just appreciation for it. Like it's, it's satisfying to watch this being made and you appreciate the guy's skills, the guy who's making it. And I don't know. I just feel like it's, that's the way I see it. No, that's good. That's good. 
You'll have to send me the video. I will. There's yeah. a few of them that I've saved, and then I'll be able to... I'd give these guys a shout-out, but um, I can't think of their YouTube channels, unfortunately. Bummer. It'll be on the website, though. Yes, it will. No worries. Yes, so you're saved. Cause... As a matter of fact, it's there right now. Yeah. If, so if, if you go to everylastdroppodcast.com slash picks, mm-hmm. you'll see it, okay, on the Todd Gummerman episode. Go get it. All right. My pick... If uh, you remember one of our previous episodes, Nick mentioned his pick, Andy Timmons' new album, Theme from a Perfect World. Mm -hmm. And then we said, which, by the way, is relevant timing because we're going to see him. So my pick for the week is seeing Andy Timmons play Mm. live. And that's a good one. So uh, what can I say? Uh, The show left me almost speechless, okay? Uh, I didn't know what to say. I, 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 I just reacted to it in such a way where i was like okay uh everything that could possibly be done on a guitar was just done uh <laughs> you know what i mean like i do i was like uh, i mean the only words i had were were basically like wow and that was incredible mm-hmm. wow wow you know like yeah. that's pretty much my oh, reaction yeah. to it um, and we got to meet him afterwards. There we was did. a long line of people that wanted to talk to him. So it was a very brief meeting, but at yeah. least we got to uh, talk to him and uh, introduce ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by the way, guys, just going to, this is going to be a candid moment here. Mm-hmm. We interviewed Andy Timmons on this show and we had audio problems. So the interview was not captured. His mm-hmm. audio was not captured. So it's not gonna happen really it's not gonna be released and unfortunately you guys aren't gonna get to hear it because i messed it up <laughs> but it it happened to us and we still remember the conversation so on the bright side he remembered us he remembered us he hey, said yeah that was a that was a, that was a fun conversation that was fun. that's what he said he uh-huh. said that was a fun hang yeah so yeah and uh the best moment of the show for me so the best moment of my pick this week was when he played electric gypsy which mm-hmm. is kind of and Andy guess Timmons what signature song i guess or he's most 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 played i'll say most played Andy uh-huh. Timmons song yeah is electric gypsy and there was a moment where he kind of brought it down and um improvised and he just played uh such just such a moving piece of music and in, in that in those moments i actually started to cry mm-hmm. oh God, i'm not yeah. joking i'm not exaggerating i started to cry good it was so moving that's good uh that's a good thing so and yeah. guess what? If you like Danny, I meant to tell you this. If you liked that live version, that's that's your favorite version ever, right? Of Electric Gypsy. For sure. Someone yeah. actually recorded it and put it on YouTube. They had a high quality microphone that they must have plugged into their phone because the audio was superb. Somebody From the same show? It. The same show at Reggie's. It's on YouTube. I looked it up three, four hours ago. Somebody recorded about four or five songs and Electric Gypsy's on there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So go back, check it out. It's in the it's in the uh it's in the link right now, that video of Andy Timmons playing Electric Gypsy. So check it out. Okay. Yeah. There, there you have it, folks. There you have it. Okay. Those are our picks, right? The woodworking video and the Andy Timmons show. Check those out, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in your dial on your AM radio. <laughs> Not. <laughs> Thanks for pulling out your phone or your computer and tuning in to our podcast We're going to be bringing you a sweet episode next time, all right? Next time, guys. Next time. See you later.